Neighborville, welcome to Real Talk. I'm so excited about this new podcast. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time, and I've got a great guest today that I know you're going to be excited about. If you or one of your kids or somebody you know loves dinosaur, dinosaurs, prehistoric creatures, my guest is going to be super fascinating for you. So stick around. This is Real Talk. This is the city we call our own. These are the stories of the people we call our neighbors. This is the heartbeat of our hometown. Naperville, this is Real Talk. All right, so my guest today, I'm so excited to welcome. He has been finding fossils all over the earth for over 30 years. He's discovered dinosaurs on five continents, and he is a hometown guy right from Naperville and the professor at the University of Chicago. I'm so excited to welcome Professor Paul Sereno to the show. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So you grew up in Naperville, right? And you yep. went to high school here? Yep. So tell me a little bit about what was your experience growing up in Naperville? Oh, I, you know, I love Naperville. I'm as old as a dinosaur, you got to realize. So <laughs> Naperville was, at the time, a uh, small town. And, uh, you know, and then my roots actually go back quite far in Naperville. So my, my mother uh, was one of the famous identical twins, Rita and Rena Bianucci, um, an Italian family that moved to town. There were Italians that left Chicago in the heyday of Al Capone, and they headed to Naperville, quieter towns, <laughs> and Clinton and other places. And uh, my grandfather settled, uh, and uh, and also in the, the peak of the Depression, bought a farm that would end up being right between Bolingbrook and Naperville. Okay. At the time when I was a kid, it was a long drive out there, and we used to go out there all the time to work on the farm, right at the forks of the DuPage. Um, we'd find arrowheads. It was a famous Indian area. And it's all, it, it eventually in the course of the time from then to now, it's, it's all filled in. And so this was a Naperville that was, um, smaller. It was where you could drive a bike to the outskirts of town and your parents would wonder, you know, when you're coming back and you really would get into greenery. And so uh, this is where I learned my love of science. I learned it by uh, park district programs, by collecting toads, leaves, butterflies, and moths. We, we, I had a lot of siblings. I had five siblings. Um, and um, there'd be an alert. There's a, a butterfly. I mean, things that we don't actually see in Naperville today, rare species of swallowtails and things like that. You needed more greenery. And wow. it's something that uh, has, has really changed. But um, you know, so I have fond memories of Naperville growing up on Eagle Street, and um, I was I have fond memories of school, even though I was um, definitely the challenged of the of the lot of six kids. My siblings were brilliant, and then they would encounter me, <laughs> and it was a totally different story. But that's you know that you know and 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 so that's I have many fond memories. And you know, my grandfather and the Italian family they settled in right downtown Naperville, made the confectioner shop and a meat market became quite well known. Uh, there's photographs of this meat market right on Jefferson Street, hmm. heart of town. And um, and then, uh, you know, my mom and her identical twin, my mom first, they married brothers, Portuguese brothers. <laughs> my father comes from Hawaii. And uh, each family had six kids at the same time. They grew up in California. We grew up in Naperville. 
we stuck around uh, because my grandfather was here. And uh, and so that's the story of the twin families. <laughs> In any case, um, uh, fond memories. That's neat. So there must be something about Italian sisters marrying brothers because the same thing happened with my my grandma and her sister married brothers so i don't know there's something about that but <laughs> but but that's an amazing rich legacy so you yeah you have a different lens on you know naperville than just the average resident so uh in the area you're talking about right where the farm was is like right very near like knock knolls would that be where you're yeah, talking that's, about? that's right that's exactly yeah. right yeah yeah that's, a, that's In fact, a... i went down there because i'm uh i i've dug up humans and uh, I noticed your offices, by the way, by a graveyard. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, and so I went down there and you can still access uh, the river. And I found like a, a true archaeologist, I found a piece of the pump, hmm. a water pump that we used to use. It was a little water pump that we used to use by a cottage, which my grandfather had built. And, and there's actually a cement wall that I built, a retaining wall to stop the river from moving sediment around that pieces of it were still there. And uh, like an archaeologist, I was able to pluck those up and they're still in my house. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's really grown and changed. Wow, that's that's really neat to be able to do that. That's, uh, that's quite an experience. So you found yourself interested. It sounded like you were already interested in, in archaeology as a kid and in, in biology and in nature. So what kind of springboarded you to the next step in that journey? Well, you know, so uh, I was interested in nature and um, I really, I didn't do very much reading, but when I did read uh, the adventures of Huck Finn, that was what I, I wanted to be Huck Finn. I wanted to go down the river. I used to look at the DuPage River and say, I'm going to go on this river because it's going to take me to Mississippi and I want to go down the Mississippi <laughs> River. I loved adventure. And um, I have many fond memories. I grew up in, in um, the south side of town and... Um, and Naper School was a school I went to, a small school. And um, I was uh, in trouble there all the time. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget my, uh, my fifth grade teacher, who uh, was the most fearsome teacher. She was already old at the time. And I knew that this was a disaster. My life was going to end when I got into Mrs. Williams' class because she was going to crush uh, dissenters <laughs> and problem makers. And, uh, and instead, um, I sort of got along with her and, uh, she made me Tom Sawyer in the school play. <laughs> and I will never forget that. It was a time when, you know, she, she could see a kid that had some promise. I wasn't malevolent and she reached me and, uh, it was my day in the sunshine. I'll never forget that. I'm sitting in my office 40 years later, university of Chicago. I just announced a dinosaur from the Sahara. It made it around the world, made it into a little newspaper in Florida and uh, the Gainesville Reporter. And uh, and I get this call in my office. It was when we used to use regular phones <laughs> and uh, about 15 years ago. And um, wavering voice on the other side, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Arlene Williams. And uh, I said, Mrs. Williams, she said, are you my Paul Serena? And I said, I could never forget you hmm. because you made me Tom Sawyer and uh, that changed things. So I look back to that experience. I call it a day in the sunshine. Every kid needs a day in the sunshine. And uh, it, it has really influenced 
uh, I went on to have problems in sixth grade. There was a similar teacher I fell in love with, thankfully, <laughs> uh, a young teacher. I've tracked her down. Uh, she's in Colorado. She was married at the time. I had no idea. I didn't. I just was starstruck, and it, <laughs> that's why I didn't flunk sixth grade. But eventually, I found myself in art, not science. I found myself in art. My mother was an artist, and um, by the time I got to high school, I did a painting. It turned everything around. All of a sudden, I realized I could do something. It's going to be art. And uh, I, I began to turn things around a little bit and uh, read a dictionary, literally, during lunch. Got into Northern Illinois University, was going to be an artist. And it was there in my junior year that I I made a trip with my brother, actually. And I ended up uh, at the American Museum of Natural History, the big Natural History Museum in New York. And I walked into the Fossil Hall. And uh, it struck me like a ton of bricks. Hmm. So never as a kid did I imagine uh, being a paleontologist. But at that moment, I knew that that is what I was going to be. And I was going to go there and study it. This was just too incredible. And uh, and so I did. I, I, I packed my bags. Instead of going to New York in art, I ended up going uh, to study fossils. And the rest was sort of history. But I almost, I got involved in all sorts of adventures as a graduate student. And but I still had this this reckoning. Um, what I didn't want to do was turn into a fossil, get gray hair, <laughs> having found a few bones, if I could. Um, and what difference was that going to make to the world? I couldn't figure that out. So, uh, but by the time I did, I had my plan, my dissertation, a very adventuresome trip around the world. I had packed. Um, literally uh, $15,000 in belts, 500 rolls of film. And I headed out, wow. this was uh, quite a few years ago, to China. No one could speak the language. Um, the first year they opened up, I traveled 5,000 miles there, went on the Trans-Siberian, came across, went through a wall at the time, East Germany, West Germany. I made it. I got all 500 rolls out and uh, eight months. And I came back and I realized this discipline of paleontology is going to teach me more about the world than I could ever learn doing anything else. And people everywhere love fossils and they love the natural history that's in their backyard and they want to keep it there. They want to help you discover it. And so I have found ways since then uh, to do those, those two things, to connect uh, to kids uh, and the kids in the neighborhoods that never envisioned themselves as scientists, there's the ones that remind me of myself as a kid and very much. And I know exactly what they could do if they ever could funnel the energy in a, in a, in a productive way. And so that's uncoded, decoding that secret is what I spent some time doing. And then figuring out in the case of uh, my, I've worked on all continents and dug up lots of dinosaurs and been wonderful adventures, but I have a special relationship with the Sahara with Niger. Uh, it's a country that I've been back to many times. I've, I've dug up maybe a hundred tons of material and uh, I have 20, 30 species to name yet. Uh, and I'm going there uh, in, in a few months again. And it's there that I really want to create museums, uh, 22nd century museums that are energy uh, zero and uh, will really be looked at as uh, give, give the future, uh, give that country a bit of a future in in uh, fossils and archaeology. There's incredible stories that uh, I've been able to uncover in this era. So 
there's so many things I want to come back to that you just said <laughs> um, that are like great talking points. I, I think I, just to touch back on your experience with your, with your teacher um, with teachers, but you know, I I've talked to a lot of folks about um, you know child psychology and and the things that happen and experiences we have in our past, and so many times we can focus on trauma or um, you know, something happens to us or a moment, even just a moment in time as a child, and we carry that with us. And, you know, in that moment, um, a lie was told to us, or we t believed a lie about ourselves. And what you recalled was the exact opposite. And so rather than, uh, and you may have traumas, we all do, but rather than a, a traumatic moment or a difficult moment that you carried with you that caused you to struggle, you had that moment that gave you confidence. And you carried that with you. And that's, that's, I mean, that says everything that it needs to say about the importance of teachers and about people encouraging people at a, at a young age, you know, to pursue those dreams or to, to do things they didn't think they could do. So then that parlays into what you were talking about with your interest in doing that for kids. And I think you're referring to Chicago Science Works. Is that correct? Yeah. And we're changing the name of that, but yeah, and, <laughs> and we're really uh, expecting that's going to, take off and I hope to be a, uh, a national model. There's no new renewed interest both at, in Chicago at many levels in trying to see uh, how, to, how we can make systemic change. And I'm at a university that is trying to be at the very forefront of science, you know, the quantum internet, we're doing all these things. And I'm saying, wait, we can't, we can't figure out how to take these surrounding neighborhoods with us. Come on, we can figure this out. Yeah, it's not that difficult. You know, um, they can offer um, Chicago public school students a full fellowship if they can make grade and they can offer that because they know very few will make grade. So let's let's find a way that more can make grade because uh, they can. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, I've I overcame many deficits myself. I had uh, great parents. I had uh, the great uh, background of Naperville which is a huge asset. Some kids throw it away. It's a huge asset. It's unbelievable. Uh, and so I had some advantages, but I had to overcome a lot of things. And um, yeah, so showing me the, the life lessons that I you know, took with is every kid needs uh, a day in the sunshine. The travesty of teaching, and I'm a teacher, is that you don't know what happens to 99% of the kids that come into your classroom. Hmm. They go away lead their lives and it's rare that you ever see them again and so you don't know if that kid in the back of the classroom that you felt was hopeless turned out to be doing something in this world you just don't know and that's why you can't ignore uh life is uh the second lesson everybody needs a, a day in the sunshine that i've taken from my experiences is that life is a long race and if you think it's over at my venerable age, 63, 64, <laughs> it's not. It can even be beginning. Um, and, you know, don't let anybody count you out because uh, you can start. The other thing, I'll tell you a third lesson that I've learned, which is that if you lead a good life, you will love something that you thought you truly hated and had no talent at. I guarantee it. 
I hated writing. I couldn't understand it. I hated school. <laughs> now I'm a teacher. I hated <laughs> writing. I've, I'm one of the rare scientists that's actually written multiple stories in National Geographic magazine. That, that takes a certain sort of writing skill. Um, and uh, I, I, it, it was very late in life that I came to love writing. And uh, I couldn't understand it in college. You know, and it made no sense. I, I, how could I know what's good? And, um, and, and there are many things like that uh, in, in the course of a, a well-lived life. I would say to take calculated risks. Um, we tend to live with the risks that we have to every day. And if you're living in Chicago, there's plenty of them. And we accept them. And then we look at a place like Niger and we say, oh my God, you're going to be killed. You're going to be, ice, you know, you'll last five seconds there in the middle of the desert, you know, bandits and so on. And I, I look at the situation. Yeah, uh, I, I would be regarded as what I'm going to be doing in a few months as definitely Indiana Jones without the racism, without a question. It is, <laughs> it is going to be, I, I'm exercising, so I'll be able to withstand it. It'll get up to 120. We're going to have armed guards. Uh, we're going to go out there because it's like the Wild West. Yeah. It's different than our Wild West. You couldn't travel with covered wagons out there. It, it, there was no, there's no police. There's no roads. It's an area the size of, you know, multiple Illinois that we're going to be working in. And there's no roads. And so, yeah, I want to make sure that nothing happens. So I'm going to come <laughs> with a small army. You know, and, and anyway, so... Um, but I do I consider it wholly and totally different in risk than living in Chicago? If I had to run an expedition in downtown Chicago, no, I would say it's roughly comparable. <laughs> I come out of that unscathed and uh, bandit free. And so all you got to do is invite somebody from the middle of Sahara to Chicago. They're petrified. <laughs> they think Al Capone is still alive, you know, and uh, and and so anyway. It's all in how you approach life. And I think that um, taking, you know, uh, Brené Brown, you know, talks about living life uh, daringly. And that's what you want to try and do. And it keeps you young, keeps you alive, interested, and trying to do. You know, we, we're in a, a very strange age, I find today, where you have people who are trying to do many things that have perplexed us making Naperville a better place, making Chicago a better place. And then you have people who are are retrenching. It's part of our society that goes one way and the other way, retrenching and, and thinking selfishly and trying to uh, go back to a time that we're never going to go back. We're, we're, the time is a one-dimensional thing. We're moving. Mm -hmm. We're moving onward. And so, but I think it's a hopeful time. And uh, I'd like to be a part of that. I think I want to go back to one of the things, too, you mentioned about you asked yourself the question, you know, what, what does my career in this field do for the world? And what kind of an impact can I leave? And it, it caused me to think of my own wife, who is a zookeeper at Brookfield Zoo. So passionate about nature, biology, and more importantly, conservation. And one of the things that she would love to do in, in, throughout her career is, is travel and go to some of these countries um, where, you know, these megafauna are in great danger. Um, rhinoceros and elephant and, and these species that, you know, we marvel at that are disappearing. Um, and a lot of it is due to um, a level of, um, well, perhaps greed, but also maybe ignorance. Um, and I mean that in just the 
straightest way, you know, um, in some of these areas of the world where people don't understand how important these creatures are to the ecosystem and to our world. And so it made me th makes me think of you and the impact you must be having bringing light to these amazing discoveries in these sort of far corners. Um, how are you seeing, you know, when you talk about wanting to create museums like in Niger, have you been able to have interactions with the people and see just how their their world changes when they get to view their country or their land in light of history and prehistory? Um, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, I think when I first traveled to the Sahara, you could run into people who didn't know what a dinosaur was. They thought it might be alive. <laughs> this happens to be exactly what Westerners thought of the first fossils when we found them. The world is a lot smaller. It's gotten smaller every day. And um, they know about Jurassic Park. We, we showed the Jurassic Park film in Agadez, the center of the Sahara, uh, for the first time years ago. And um, uh, I, th they have been my eyes in the desert. I've known them for decades, uh, many of them. They've gone through rebellions to be respected in their own country. We actually called them and said, listen, can we run an expedition in the middle to, to uh, you know, rebel leaders who are in exile? We have nothing against Americans. Go run your expedition. We later ran into people who said, we knew you were there. We were going to attack you, but then we were told we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> These are people who, there's many cultures in this, uh, in this very interesting country of Niger. And uh, th these are people who are still living, uh, many of them, a nomadic lifestyle. This is the only place in the world where they're still living this lifestyle. And uh, in, in the other pockets, like where I've worked in Gobi Desert and so on, you know, there's mopeds now, it, it's gone. And um, they have a language, they have art, they have music, m musical instruments and things. There's no museum to their culture or their language. And that's just one of the cultures or several. So the idea of putting a museum, putting some dinosaurs, putting, and, and then of course I found the Green Sahara, which is, I, I dug up a hundred individuals older than the Egyptians, jewelry. Uh, the story of the Green Sahara is remarkable. I stumbled on it. I was teaching human anatomy, going to find dinosaurs and super crocs, and I ended up finding the, the, the largest archeological site of the Sahara. And so I had to become an archeologist then uh, <laughs> as well. And, and that's the last 10 years of work. And incredible story of people living in the middle of a green Sahara, the biggest climate change. We're experiencing one now, man-made. And this was the biggest climate change of the last, of the recent era when the Sahara became the Sahara before it was green with crocodiles and elephants and all the animals you know of from Africa in the middle of the Sahara. <laughs> and uh, Niger can tell this story. But, re the, the, but I, I'm saying, yes, we will tell the Green Sahara story, put a dinosaur in a museum in Agadez, but we also want to put the region, we want to put the cultures, the language, so that there's, there's uh, uh, a place for people to go as well as tourists and in a museum that will be the first zero energy museum, natural history museum in the world, right there at the crossroads of the Sahara. That's that's the, the plan. And um, to do that, I have to contact architects downtown. I need a museum clad at least in local materials, tiles made by, and zero energy. Oh yeah, you got to withstand dust storms. <laughs> uh, and they, they designed it and it's wow. one awards. It's amazing. And um, you know, I designed the inside and, and, and the structure. Uh, so that's the dream, and um, it's a necessary one. 
because if I don't do that, um, then all of my labors, all of the things that I found, the woman with a child, the triple burial, a child with a bracelet, first one ever found with an <laughs> ivory bracelet on her upper arm, um, jewelry, dinosaurs, all this will go away. Um, you can't preserve it without a proper museum, without shepherds in that museum. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. If I return it and do the thing to return it, first of all, it's taken, I've become a diplomat to be able to remove from Africa more artifacts and materials. I believe I've actually, in terms of accomplishing things, changed the orbit of the earth slightly because I've actually moved it <laughs> up here and then I'm going to move it back. And you can't, you can't, remove that kind of material without gaining the trust of, of the country and the local people, the regional people. And now we share a dream. Wow. And that dream is, is to build these museums, one in the capital, one in the middle of the desert. And um, it's a very interesting, very interesting country at the, at the very hub of our migration route. They're the key to solving Europe's migration problem from Africa. They, we have a relationship with them. Other countries around them are falling apart. Niger still keeps going and it's a very poor country, but it's got so much potential. So I'm very interested uh, in, in seeing that project through, but it's, it's, it's a necessary thing and, and, and it connects you with um, the region, which has given you so much uh, in terms of scientific discovery. Wow. That's incredible. That it is a lasting impact. I'm looking forward to seeing more from that project. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Thank you. Um, okay. So I would be remiss if I didn't, talk to you about the the topic that everybody has to talk about. And so dinosaurs, right? So um, I, so I don't know if you've seen that meme. I'm sure you have. You're a paleontologist that says, uh, shows a chart of your knowledge of dinosaurs, right? And it sort of peaks when you're five and then um, peaks a little bit higher uh, when you're a paleontologist and then, peaks <laughs> maybe, and then maybe even higher when you're the parent of a five-year-old. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I find myself right now. So um, you have encountered, discovered, named um, some very significant um, and, and famous, world famous species uh, of dinosaurs and prehistoric animals. Um, and there's one, I'm going to shift my camera just a second here. And I actually have one on my shelf. So a um, little toy of Sarcosuchus back there, the super croc, which my son absolutely loves. So, I mean, can you just give us a snippet of, of some of the, uh, some of the, that you actually have dug up some that you have named and just please, sure. please share. <laughs> oh, you know, I've named, I, I, you know, one of the things about Africa is that, well, first of all, one of the things about dinosaurs that interests your kid and all kids is that it encourages us to imagine. Mm -hmm. And this is not just a, a makeup world. This is a real world. They can know the names. They can learn the habits and the character features of these animals, and they can quickly learn more than, you know, and there's nothing more than a kid would want than that, because that's really what and who we are as humans. We're, we're very curious animals that unbelievable. And this, this is just like food for the mind. Um, and it attracts kids. It's not their size. No. It's the fact that, and, and that a three-year-old can look at a skeleton and understand what it is, is phenomenal. Just to imagine that they can understand there's once flashed that it's extinct. These things, these are ideas that took us a long time to come to, <clears throat> uh, are only a century, couple centuries old. So, uh, and then uh, my dinosaurs, I mean, I headed to Africa 
actually, it was Tom Sawyer-like uh, and Huck Finn-like. <laughs> I was a professor. I managed to get a big grant. And um, I uh, was attracted. I, I wanted to cross the Sahara once in my life. It's one of those <laughs> things. There's no road that crosses the Sahara north-south. This is the largest uh, desert in the world. Uh, encompasses many countries. Uh, it really is out there. For me, it's it's more beautiful and more daunting than any mountain. And um, to cross it is to, without a GPS, this is when I first did it, is like, it's like going across an ocean and they have many analogies to the sand seas and so on. Mm. It's absolute lunacy. It's wonderful. <laughs> and um, I did, I've crossed it many times now. And I, I crossed it and I wanted to find a reason to come back. And I found a reason. I saw all these dinosaur bones in around. <laughs> And began to realize that um, this is really the last of all the continents to really completely, completely discover a lost world. Mm -hmm. um, you might be able to find another T-Rex. I would say we can. There's a book coming out on Barnum Brown now detailing. I wrote the flap cover, uh, how he found his bones and so on. And it's amazing how much has been found since then. And, uh, but to find another dinosaur the size of T-Rex that you can name, long shot, long mm. shot. Uh, in Africa, you have a hard time digging up something that isn't new. Mm. And that's why I've gone back time and time again. And so I've named Jobaria, I've named Nisirosaurus. These are bizarre long neck dinosaurs. I've named, you know, we, we found the rest of um, Spinosaurus. We have I found reinvented Carcharodontosaurus was a fossil that was destroyed in World War II, found mm. in Egypt originally. Uh, I've named Deltadromius the Delta Runner. Those are the predators. And I've named lots of uh, interesting herbivores. And then the surprise of all things, the first thing I found when I went to Sarah wasn't a dinosaur. It was a giant crocodile. So that's 40-foot super croc, but the <laughs> super croc had friends, dog croc, duck croc. I, I'm going to name another four Bork. I'm going to name another. It's a croc world there. The world that I'm uncovering in Africa is very different than T-Rex's world here. So um, here, the long necks sort of went out of the picture as the Cretaceous dawned, the last of the of the dinosaur epics, and Tyrannosaurus came to the fore, really dominated the predators. And uh, the duckbills and ceratopsians, the horned dinosaurs, came to the fore as their prey. And that's the world. And they, there were small mammals running around. And I found these out west. And this doesn't describe Africa at all. Hmm. So in Africa, you've got three different kinds of predators. You've got spinosaurs, the most common, running around. There's nothing like that in North America. You've got long-necked dinosaurs mixing with sailed herbivores. And crocodiles run amok. You've got pterosaurs and all. You know, turtles of all kinds. It, it is a wonderful Pandora's box that I've opened up. And I, I can tell you that I'm going to name next a raptor that's digging. Hmm. The first digging raptor ever discovered. I'm going to name some crocodiles that will shake your boots off. I mean, crocodiles <laughs> don't have any armor and look more like dogs. <laughs> uh, amazing things that we put together. And uh, so it's, it's a wonderful. And then on top of all of that, I'm digging up my own species. These are people that are our own species, 10,000 years old, older than the Egyptians, down to about 5,000 when the desert dried up and the delta that would become uh, the fertile grounds of farming and history, as it were, dawned with the pyramids. Mm -hmm. This is the, the life uh, before that. 
uh, has been extraordinary, the discoveries and trying to, you know, it's a totally different thing. In fact, it's sort of a little bit frightening when you're digging up your own species. You're normally <laughs> used to digging up these bizarre new creatures. And all of a sudden you're staring at a skull and you're saying, my God, you know, it's just amazing. And the stories that come from the grave mm. are just amazing. Yeah. I think the thing that, and I, I'm fascinated by the topics. And so the things that, as I've, you know, been delving in with my, with my son and it's, it's hard to imagine the scale of time that these animals, um, you know, specifically dinosaurs, prehistoric animals lived across. So you mentioned, you know, from the Jurassic into the Cretaceous, you know, the, the long necks sort of going away, but it's amazing to me that we'll, we'll talk about all these, you know, we go to the, the toy store and all the dinosaurs are on the shelf together. And so we think of these sort of as all creatures that live together, but they're separated by, you know, millions of years from one another. And then you mentioned by continents. I mean, so even I know in North America, right, there was the ocean that divided North America. So these creatures who lived in the Western half and the Eastern half w would not have interacted with one another. It's, I think that's what's some a little confusing and what's actually amazing to learn about. Um, what do you think are maybe some of the most misunderstood things about the field of paleontology, dinosaurs, or just even what you do for a living? I think a lot of people think that uh, all paleontologists go out in the field, at least half or more, maybe two thirds don't. There's And, and um, he, here's another misunderstood thing that, you know, um, it's a profession that you'll never get a job in. Hmm. It's an expanding profession. So there's the Burpee Museum in Rockford that didn't exist when I was a kid. The Museum of the Rockies, there's dozens of museums that didn't exist when I was a kid. Um, that's because people want to understand their history in their backyard. They, they're tired of having people take all the fossils somewhere else. And um, so there, there's uh, places to become inspectors. There's jobs in laboratories and so on. So it's a, a field that's alive and we're naming more dinosaurs now every day, every year than we ever did uh, before. How long can that last? I would say until your son, uh, I believe you have a son, has a son, we're going to be in this period of learning the basic outlines of earth history because fossils are the, the paleontologist's amazing thing that just keeps giving it can't keep giving forever because the earth mm. is a finite size sure but unlike living species which we have found and we're driving to extinction anything above the size of a you know microbe or or, or perhaps a plant species fossils uh it's just amazing how big the sahara you really appreciate it that i will not be the last person to describe things from these years I may describe the most, but uh, there's absolutely no way that I, I, I want to feel that I've gone to at least the major corners. So someone doesn't describe some Shangri-La that said, ah, Paul Serena misses. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, a, it's a daunting task, but I feel as though I, eh, I've sort of got the bases covered maybe, but, I, but there's going to be more discoveries. So that's exciting. That's a misunderstood fact. Sometimes people think it's all discovered. There's no jobs. No, the field is very alive. There's a whole field of nanopaleontology. It's molecular. I got a guy, we're trying to figure out how dinosaur mummies form in my lab, uh, <laughs> where you get skin impressions and so on. Mm. It's very molecular. Um, and uh, what other things uh, are basically, you know, I think people, first people have begun to catch on that birds, in fact, are dinosaurs. What do we mean by that? We mean they're the descendants of dinosaurs mm -hmm. and we therefore consider them dinosaurs. And, um, 
misunderstood. Everything that you can name about a bird, if I ask you, what, tell me what a bird does, unique mm -hmm. to birds. All that, every single feature that I guarantee that you would point out with its feathers, brooding, large eggs, you know, the voice box. We now have evidence that that arose before they took to the air during the dinosaur era. That's a revelation. Um, so people think birds are so different. No, they're actually were created piece by piece in the dinosaur era. We have every transition, transitional fossil present. What other basic misconceptions? People think, this is a fundamental question I'd love to approach with a TV series. <laughs> People think that the world was developed for us, or even worse, that we're the smartest thing that's ever existed. And even worse, that run the tape of life again, you get a human. I believe all that's wrong. <laughs> I think that we are here as an incredible, wonderful, creative accident of history. And um, we can see that, you know, I told you about name me anything of a bird and yeah, it was invented by dinosaurs. We have evidence now. Well, name me anything except language, what we're using right now in this exchange. Posing thumb, bipedality, mm -hmm. big brain, vocal learning, it was all invented by dinosaurs before. I mean, birds and their predecessors. And so <clears throat> one of the questions is, why don't they look like us? I mean, some of them are pretty smart. Some of them use tools. Um, they don't look like us, but they're very successful. I think that we are an extraordinary pathway that, and, and for people to understand, I believe it's exactly like my life and yours. Uh, I was born in Naperville. I had this incredible teacher in fifth grade I told you about. I was taken down to a farm. It shaped me in ways that were unique. Then I had this chance encounter with the museum dinosaur hall. And what would I have done if I didn't do that? Where would I have been? I would have led a different, unique life. My life right now is one pathway out of billions that I could have taken had I had different experiences. And it's like a winding pathway, it's unique. And uh, and that's the way to look at human evolution. And we should respect the world we live in and try to make it a better place because this is our fleeting moment in time. And we alone can see it. We should appreciate it. I, I love that you say make the world a better place. It's something I say to my son every morning when I drop him off at school. It's, it's what, but what more can we do? And like you say, in, in the small time that we have here, what, what at the end of the day, when you look at your life, that's all that really matters. Um, it, again, it's a, it's an interesting time where there's been this conception now, 22nd century skills. I see it's come together as a suite, generally four things. There used to be 21st century skills, and then we pass into the 20th century. And some of those we thought were sort of the ultimate ones, right? Communication, critical thinking, you know, uh, creativity, collaboration, you know, maker spaces, things like that. Mm -hmm. And now we think of innovation, exploration, the exploration, yeah, and civic engagement and global citizenship. And I think those are those are increasingly the things that. Um, are going to mark this century. 
already marking this century. Um, we have to think of civic, you know, our choices are really impinging on everybody. And um, we need to become global citizens. And uh, those are going to be some of the skills that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be interested in promulgating in, in a place we're calling Cytopia, Chicago, the science place um, in this neighborhood. So there's a, a million topics I could talk to you for hours, but you don't, you don't have the time for it. <laughs> so what I want to ask you is, you know, kind of circling back then to your beginning um, for a kid on the south side of Chicago or in a neighborhood in Naperville or somewhere in Niger, maybe, maybe different paths for each of them, but they're interested in this subject like you eventually became. Where do they start if they if they want and, and how do they take steps to try to do this for a living? You know, a lot of it is uh, daring. It's just taking the chance and getting engaged. So, um, you know, there's opportunities at museums, at your school for after school projects, teachers that have some in. You know, what my first experience was in paleontology was a neighbor who took us to the Braidwood coal mine, which allowed you to go into it at that time. It was a field trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is how people get in, engaged. And one thing leads to another. And um, I just accepted as a graduate student, a kid from the South Side. This is really an amazing journey for this kid. Uh, he just persisted. He had a great parent who uh, helped him, encouraged him. But one thing led to another. And he eventually interned at the Field Museum and he stuck with it and he went to DePaul and then he stuck with it and he went off to a master's program and he stuck with it and then he applied. And by the time he gets done, he's had a litany of experiences and he's there. He's there. He understands what science is about and how to pursue it. And that's, that's really what it takes. And it can lead you in lots of different ways. I mean, it can lead you into scholarship or academics. It can lead you into museum work. It can lead you into inspection work. There's all sorts of, of related sort of fields. And paleontologists are a bit, you know, of a uh, Cinderella field. I mean, I got my degree in geology, actually, but I was studying biology. And, you know, there's no class Expedition 101, but I can guarantee you I could teach one. So I can take, as any of my students can lead field trips. Uh, they can teach anything from human biology to geology. You know, so when you come out, you can be a college teacher. You could be a high school teacher. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do. But it's really to get involved in almost anything, it's really sort of that push to try to engage, however you can do it. Stay curious, right? Be Stay curious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Paul, thank you so much. I mean, again, we could talk forever and, and I'd love to do it again sometime. Um, but thank you for joining us. And um, I think people are going to be encouraged. And I'd love to check in with you later and see what, you know, what future Absolutely. projects are doing. Absolutely. So I got you. a website and uh, you're welcome to, you know, send people there and, and yes. uh, you know, it, it's got the, all the Niger heritage projects, um, call it Niger heritage museum projects. It's got stuff on the center that we're building and in on the South side and um, our discoveries are going to be announced there. Wonderful. Yeah. We're going to, we'll get all that info and make sure that it's linked below on the podcast here. So thanks again. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay. Excellent. Thanks.